we're in Revelation chapter 6, moving into chapter 7. And uh, who can tell me what we just got done covering the past few weeks? The seals. All right, so we've been in the six seals, and we said that the sixth seal marks the what? Yes. So the sixth of anything, whether it's a seal, a trumpet, or a bowl, it marks the end of human history. There we go. Just had to make sure I was on. All right, so the sixth seal, it marks the end. And if you just go back to, to that last section there, specifically chapter 6, looking at verse 15 onward, notice when it says that uh, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and every and everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Right? So we read that section, and we talked about how when the end comes, you see this sevenfold depiction of humanity, meaning God's judgment is all-encompassing. There is no escaping it. It is going to fall on the entire world. And you see these people who realize the wrath of God has come, and what do they do? They hide themselves. Yeah, right. They hide themselves. They call to the mountains. They say, fall on us. Remember, we were saying that they are more terrified of the wrath of God than they are of death itself. And so you're reading this section and it seems like every single person on earth, without exception, is going to suffer the wrath of God. They're going to have to endure the judgment of God. That's exactly how it seems, right? It seems like no one's going to escape it. But then there's this little, this little bracket here. As you start uh, chapter 7 in verses 1 through 3, this is what we read. After this... I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. So ascending from the rising of the sun, where is that? The east, right? Anything significant about east in the Bible? Depending on which direction you're going, right? So remember, we've talked about this ton in here and on the podcast as well. Uh, yeah, so if you go all the way back to Genesis, anytime people are moving to the east, they're moving away from God, away from his presence, away from his blessing. Uh, remember when he put uh, a cherubim in the garden after he kicked Adam and Eve out, the entrance was to the east, right? And then you see when Lot is choosing his land in Genesis, he moves to the east, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you track all that all throughout the Bible, and people are just constantly moving to the east, away from God, away from his presence. And then that's fulfilled. Anybody remember how it's fulfilled? That's really cool how it pays off. So the, the whole Bible, the Old Testament, starts with people going to the east, away from the presence of God. How does the New Testament start? Yeah, you have wise men coming from the east, to the presence of God where they are going to be there for the birth of Jesus. And then when Jesus in his last week on earth is entering into Jerusalem, he enters from which, which direction? From the east. Yeah, so bringing that full circle. He's bringing people back to God. So east is very significant in the Bible. All right, so you see this angel ascending from the rising of the sun from the east. 
with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had, given, who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. All right, so you have here a picture of God's judgment being poured out in these seals, right? The winds are a picture of his wrath and his judgment. And here we see four angels who are holding back the four winds of judgment temporarily. And so you see that this angel says, hey, don't, don't harm the earth, don't do anything until we have done something. What, what needs to happen? Yeah, seal his people, right? So in the midst of the sixth seal, and in the midst of the seven seals in general, you have another sealing that needs to be done. None of this judgment, none of this wrath can be poured out upon the earth until God has sealed his people. So, so notice this, the events that we're reading about here, specifically when you begin to look at the, the seven seals all throughout chapter 6, you, again, people like to read these chronologically, but notice how as you start chapter 7, it's saying, hold on, before any of that happens, something else has to happen. So again, this is why you can't just read Revelation chronologically and, and act like it moves in a nice, neat little timeline, because that's not what happens. The Bible is saying here, all right, here are the six seals that need to happen before the final judgment. And then you get to chapter 7, and it's saying, oh, and by the way, before the six seals can even be opened and all this stuff take place, we have to seal the people of God. Before judgment's poured out, God sends his angel to intervene and place his seal upon his people. All right, so we need to be sealed. And you have an angel who comes down who's going to seal. So here's the question. What is that? What does that mean? What does it mean for God to seal his people? Okay, protect. So all of, all of God's people, they will receive the seal, yes? This is this, this easy, easy question, yeah. Okay, sealed is finished, but let's, let's answer the easy question first. All of God's people will be sealed, yes? Yes, yeah, obviously, right, yeah, good. All right, so all of God's people will be sealed. Will people who are not God's people, will unbelievers, will they be sealed? Very, Brian, theologian of the night, my man. All right. Yeah, so anyone who's not a believer, they aren't sealed with the seal of God, but they receive a mark. What is that? Yeah, mark of the beast, right? Uh, what is that there? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. They actually do stand in contrast to each other, right? So it's not like it's a coincidence that you have all of God's people being sealed and then everyone else being sealed or marked in another way. The two are supposed to stand in contrast to each other. Uh, and it's interesting, where are both of these things, the seal and the mark, where are they placed? Yeah, right on the forehead. Now here's my question, Brian, let's see if you can really take home that title theologian of the night. Why the forehead? Visible? Okay, interesting. Okay, let's do this. Two questions. Number one, is this literal? 
will there literally be a mark on the forehead or a seal of some sort on the forehead that is visible to everybody? So number one, is it literal? Okay, Brian says yes. I like a man who puts his foot down. There we go. I like it. Confidence. Anybody else? Anybody want to go against our resident theologian? Well, hey, there's a first, first for everything, brother. It's bound to happen, all right? Joseph's not here. He can't get it every Wednesday. We have one yes, it is literal. Anybody want to say no, it's not literal? Maybe it's metaphorical. Maybe it's symbolic. Everybody's going to agree with Brian. Maybe. We'll get to there. Hold on a second. Let's, let's just okay. stop reading my notes and let's just go through this, all right? All right, so let me ask you a question. <clears throat> maybe it's literal, maybe it's visible. If it's not, though, what's the significance of the forehead? Plain sight, okay. Anybody else know anything about ancient days, things like that? Okay, yeah. So one of the places where they would anoint people with oil would be on the forehead. Um, interesting thing about during this time period, first century and a little bit onward and even before then, is that in those days, slave owners, when they had a slave, they would mark their slave, brand them, and they would typically do it on the forehead. All right, I thought you'd get that. I thought he was joking at first because he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, yeah, definitely that's one of the things they did. But, yeah, but also one of the main places that they would brand them so that everybody would know what? Who they belong to. Right. Yeah, there we go. Now it's starting to make sense, right? So maybe it's not literal, but it's metaphorical. That all of God's people are going to be known and people are going to know to whom they belong. God. And everyone who's not part of God's people, all the unbelievers, they too will be known, and it will be evident to all in the world to whom they belong. So the mark or the seal on the forehead is just another way of saying it's going to be evident to whom these people belong. They have a master, and their master is either going to be Jesus or it's going to be the beast. And so uh, any idea what the seal is? Let's go with Michael now. We're going to Take the title, pass the belt over to Michael. Mr. Read my notes beforehand. Let's go, Michael. Go ahead. Okay. Believers, Michael says, the seal that's being referred to here, Holy Spirit. Anybody care to agree or disagree? Is it true that believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is that what this is referring to? Yeah, I think so. All right, yes, yeah, that's right. So Ephesians 1.13, the Bible says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And uh, 2 Corinthians 1.21-22 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
And so the Holy, seal, the Holy Spirit being the seal makes sense here, right? If you're going to seal believers, the only seal that we hear about in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit, which actually says a lot about baptism and new covenant, the sign of the covenant, things like that. We're not going to get into tonight. We could. We could have a baptism debate, but we're not going to do that, okay? We're not going to do that. <laughs> so if the seal shows ownership and we belong to the Holy Spirit, or, or, in, or the seal shows ownership and who we belong to, the Holy Spirit makes the most sense of the seal. Because who is it who produces fruit in our lives? The Holy Spirit. Uh, you read in the Bible and you read about the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit. And when people see these fruit in our lives, what do they know about us? That we're Christians. That we belong to God. And so this is the Bible's way of saying it is going to be evident to everyone who my people are because they will have my seal upon them. And the seal is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who produces fruit and makes it evident. So this is what this seal is. And, and it's the most definitive way to know someone's truly a Christian, is it not? Because, I mean, what are other ways people try to stake their claim on their faith? Or what are some things that people look to for assurance that, yes, I'm a Christian? For many people, it's their baptism, right? They look back on the baptism. They made a decision, filled out a card. For many people, it's their church attendance. Hey, I was here on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday. I came on a Sunday evening. You know, I, I did all these things. For some people, it's their, their knowledge of Scripture and how many Bible verses they can quote and all these type of things. But in the Bible, the clearest evidence that you are a Christian is that you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That God has placed His seal upon you. And so that's what's happening here. God is literally delaying His judgment upon the earth and delaying pouring out the judgment on the earth. He's delaying opening the seals until He has actually sealed His people. And the Holy Spirit is going to serve as a protector and a shield of God's people. So when you read about the events in the sixth seal that's opened and you see this hellfire and brimstone, and you see the sun is darkened and stars are falling and people are running and they're scared of the wrath of the Lamb, God's people don't have to be afraid in that time. That if that sixth seal was open today and all of those events started happening, you walk outside and you see that the, the sun has been darkened and you see stars are falling, if it's literal, and you see all this chaos and destruction and you see mountains start crumbling and people running and shouting. And it's a terrifying scene, but the, the comfort for God's people is you don't have to be terrified because you've been sealed by God himself. You have a protector, a shield, and because you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're never going to experience God's wrath. And that's comforting, is it not? Because when you read the Bible and you see that God is literally storing up His wrath for the day of judgment, and you read in Romans chapter 2 where it talks about how when God is even kind to people and He shows forbearance with people and He shows patience with people who are living in sin, they take His kindness for granted and Paul literally says to them, do you not know that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment? So think about your life right now. Think about every time you sin and how that's just adding another block of judgment into God's sack that he's eventually just going to pour out on the whole world. And you're thinking, if that's true, and I really am storing up judgment for myself and wrath for myself, that's terrifying. The best news you can hear 
is that all the wrath that you deserve has already been poured out on Christ in your place. That if you are a believer in Jesus, you will never, ever experience the wrath of God. And for anyone who's a great sinner like I've been, that's good news. Amen? I mean, that is good news. When you know that no matter how bad I've been, no matter how sinful I've been, no matter how many times I've messed up, if I have truly put all of my hope and trust in Jesus, I'll never experience that wrath because he experienced it for me. So literally, this is the confidence and the hope that believers can have, even if the whole world is disintegrating. Even if the whole world is literally coming apart at the seams and falling apart, the believer can just walk through that chaos with confidence knowing God's going to protect his people. That if this is happening, it means the Lamb is about to return and he is going to call us up to meet him in the sky and we're going to get to escort him back to earth and he is going to come back as a king re-entering his kingdom and it's going to be beautiful. It's all because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean, as you know, it doesn't mean that Christians are never going to experience hardship or persecution, right? This is saying that we're safe from God's wrath. It is not saying that we are safe from persecution in this world. It is not saying that God is going to make sure you have a nice, happy, easy life. Read the Bible. That doesn't happen for a lot of Christians. Read church history. That doesn't happen for a lot of Christians, okay? This is not saying God is going to protect you because you know that's what some people do with these verses, right? The prosperity preachers, they love to get up here and they say, okay, God's people have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, so therefore God's never going to let anything happen to you. The reason you're sick, the reason I'm sick right now, I just don't have enough faith. I need to just have more faith and pray it out of me. I need to give a donation to a church and then God's going to multiply that blessing because I sowed that seed of faith because God has sealed his people and he doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. And that is garbage. That's heretical garbage. You mean to tell me that as Peter was walking to a cross where he was going to be crucified, that Paul could have come up beside him and said, brother, if only you had more faith. You know, God wouldn't let this happen to you if you had more faith. As Paul was about to be beheaded by Nero, you think any one of the other Christians would have just been standing on the sidelines saying, Paul, why don't you have more faith? Don't you know this wouldn't be happening if you had more faith? I mean, think about who was literally writing these words. It was John. They boiled him alive. He still didn't die, but they boiled him alive. Do you think he was thinking to himself in that moment, man, I know God sealed me with his spirit, but if only I had more faith, this wouldn't be happening. No, it's obviously not true. Yeah, all of them except for John died a martyr's death. It didn't end pretty for any of the disciples and literally pretty much any other major Christian throughout all of church history. The the whole point is this, the comfort that God has given us here is that we will never have to endure his wrath, we will never have to endure hell, we will never have to endure that eternal death and that that separation from the the presence of, of God's blessing and his love, but it's not saying that your life is going to be easy if you're a Christian. It's not saying that God's going to keep all the bad stuff from happening. I mean, if that were true, both my grandparents wouldn't be slowly dying of cancer right now. Okay? We live in a fallen world. Bad stuff's going to happen. This, this world is riddled with sin, and what we need is for Jesus to return and make all things right. 
Which is why the whole book of Revelation, it literally ends with, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. That is the prayer of the Christian. God, we see how messed up this world is. We see how sin is destroying humanity and morals and everything else. Come fix it. Bring it to a right place and do it quickly. And and so yes, as a Christian, you're going to endure hardships. You're going to endure persecution. Be like me and get sick every other week, which is super fun. I, you know, didn't sign up for that. I don't remember being this sick before I was a Christian. So, bad stuff is going to happen. But the good news is, when that day comes, and we do have to stand at the judgment throne, because listen, I'm saying that you're safe from the wrath of God. That doesn't mean you're not going to have to stand before the judgment of God. Every person who's ever lived and will ever live will have to do that. But it means the great hope that you have is that as you walk to that judgment, you have confidence. You have assurance. Other people, they'll walk up to the throne of God, they'll be shaking, so scared they can't even move probably. I mean, angels might have to drag them there. Terrified because they know that they didn't believe the gospel, they rejected Jesus, they realize that God actually is real, they know what's coming next, and they're terrified. But as the Christian approaches the throne of God, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we can do so boldly and with confidence. And it's not because as we're walking, we're thinking, man, I'm glad that I lived a good life. I'm glad that I didn't do that sin stuff that all these other people struggle with. I'm glad that I made sure to go to church and do this. I'm, I'm glad that I cleaned up my behavior and I only listened to his radio. Now, the only thing we're going to be thinking about in that moment as we walk to the throne of God is, thank you, Lord, that I know Jesus. Thank you, God, that I trusted that when Jesus died in my place, his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the penalty for my sins. So I know there's no more wrath there. I know there's nothing waiting for me there, but God's love and approval and acceptance, again, not because I've lived a great life, but because Jesus died for me, and I have trusted in him. And so that's the hope that we have here. God will protect his people. So even when you read the end of Revelation 6, and you see all this world falling apart, and it's terrifying, and it's a brutal scene, and it looks like no one's going to escape, It reminds us, as we go into chapter 7 and see just those first three verses, it reminds us that Christians have hope and Christians have confidence because we have been sealed with God's own Holy Spirit. So that's as far as uh, we're going to get tonight. And in two weeks, we're going to get to one of my favorite sections in all of Revelation, the seven seals. Y'all know I have a big thing about lists in the Bible and genealogies and things like that. And things that we just read over, right? Don't lie to me, you're open up to Revelation 7. Now look at that list, you look at that, if you're reading the Bible, what do you do folks? You just skip right over, you're like a bunch of numbers, bunch of names, right? This list is amazing, okay? And we are literally, the next time I'm here in two weeks, we are going to spend the entire time just looking at that list, and I want to show you how amazing it is and why you shouldn't skip over it. So I know you might be thinking, oh, I don't want to hear a bunch of names and numbers, but come anyways, okay? Because it's really awesome, I promise you that, all right? Michael, 